Amen. We'll go ahead and, and grab a seat. Uh, let me add a, a good morning to you as well. My name is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors here um, on staff. And just to add to what, what Andrew said earlier, just to, to say, as a church, I mean, our first step is kind of Sunday morning here. Next, really, what we want to be about is, is community and, and community groups. And so if you're not engaged in a group, we would love to, to find a way to get you plugged in. Although I have to say, is that the video of the people eating together, like on China, um, that's not all our groups. Um, if you come to my house, we might have some paper bowls for you. If not, just keep your hands. It's all good. Um, so it's not quite uh, China at every place, um, but, uh, but it's really important to us as a church. And so we hope uh, you'll consider uh, jumping into one of our, our community groups. Uh, well, with that, we're uh, continuing in uh, the Gospel of Matthew um, looking at the last week of Jesus' life leading up until, until Easter. And so this morning's text is Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. So I'm going to read that text for us. I'm going to pray and then, and then jump in. So here it is. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, in the place In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us. There's a lot going on in each of our individual lives, but now we pause to let our lives be gathered up into your life. To let all the words in our mind and hearts, to let those be gathered into your word. So would you help us not to live by our words, trying to make things happen and get the life we think we want? Would you help us instead to respond to what you have spoken to us? Give us ears to hear that we would listen to your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's hard to imagine a more joyous ceremony or setting than a wedding, my sister uh, Alicia got married about three months ago, and so uh, my whole family was a part of the ceremony in one way or another, which was, was a lot of fun. It's chaotic with three kids under five, but it was a lot of, of fun. Um, and so Isaiah, uh, he served as the ring bearer and, and took his duties very seriously, uh, including dancing with the flower girl during the reception. He did a very good job. Uh, Micah served uh, as the backup ring bearer. Um, which isn't really a position. I think my family just want to dress him in that, uh, which uh, I think at some point that's going to come back and haunt us uh, with him, as it rightfully should. We should never have dressed him like that. Um, 
And then we don't have a slide for Abel because I looked for pictures of him, but a classic third child uh, situation, we had no pictures of him. And so just those of you who are our third kid in line, just so you know, it's never intentional. Us parents, it's just you just get forgotten it happens. Um, plus, he didn't really do anything. He just kind of laid around and ate off people's plates. He was, it wasn't really worth anything anyway. And so it, it's why we have no picture um, of him. And so uh, we, had, we had fun, though, as, as, a, as a family. Uh, we danced, uh, uh, all of us. Uh, there were no pictures of me dancing. They have been destroyed from the record. Um, we laughed, we celebrated. Weddings are our joy, which is why what Jesus does here is incredibly strange to me. That he's speaking to religious people, people who are increasing their opposition to him, people who are actually thinking about, about killing him, murdering him. And so Jesus is going to warn them. If they do what they plan to do to him, they're going to be judged. If they do what they, they think they want to do to him, then they're going to pay for it. So you heard the language, that they will, they will be thrown into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus, he's talking about hell there. And so Jesus, he wants to get across it in the seriousness of this judgment, um, this destruction. And so what, is, what image does he choose to go to? A wedding. Right, there, there's so much to this parable. This is just a really confusing move. Jesus wants to preach on judgment, so he wants to think of a wedding celebration. So there's a lot to this parable, a lot we could say, but I want to boil it down into to three points. That, that first, Jesus is saying some, some are not going to come to the wedding. Second, anyone actually can come. But third, if, if you come, you can't stay as you are. So first, some, some won't come to the wedding. Uh, this is a reminder, I mentioned this a few minutes ago. We're, we're spending the next several months, the next three and a half months, in the last week of Jesus' life, Matthew 21 through, through 28, and maybe you, you hear that and think, that sounds like overkill. It's been three and a half months on one week of a guy's life. Um, and, and yet, Matthew, who's, who's writing the story that we're looking at, um, he spent three years of his own life with, with Jesus. And so when he sat down to write a story about Jesus' life and what it means for us, he spent a quarter of his material on the last week of Jesus' life, his, his death and his resurrection and why he died. And so Matthew... Uh, wants us to understand, listen, if, you, if, you, if you're going to know who Jesus is, you have to understand why he died, why he went to a cross. And, and in, in Matthew 22, and actually the verses leading up to Matthew 22, both chapters 21 and 22, the reasons for why Jesus is going to die become, become clear to us. The religious authorities hate him and want to kill him. And so Jesus uh, gives them three parables. The, the parable of the wedding feast is the third parable in, in that line. <clears throat> and so he, he tells them a parable of two sons. He tells them a parable about a business owner um, and, and some employees. And then he tells the parable of the wedding feast. In each parable, things get more intense. Things get, get more dire as he, as he teaches. And so Jesus, he sets up this third parable like this, there's a king whose son is about to get married. And like any parent whose child is about to get married, he's, he's excited. He's going to throw a party. There's going to be a good experience. And so he sends out invitations to his friends, to his family, all the people he wants to come and, and share this moment with him. And they all say, no, we're not coming. But in that day, you send out two invitations, kind of a save the day, like this is the day, this is when you need to come. And then a second invitation uh, to sort of let you know the celebration is ready. You can come now. The, what I promised you has happened. Come and, and, and join. Um, so perhaps the king thought, well, they, they just didn't know enough at the first invitation. So I'm going to sweeten the pot. I'm going to let them know what's happening at this wedding feast. And so he, he, he tries to sell it to them. He, he unpacks all that's going to happen, um, starting verse Four. He says, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, 
My fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. Right? The king is saying, listen, I have steak. Right? I don't just have a calf. I have a fat calf. You can come and eat it. Right? Come to my, my feast. Like, and I, for me, I hear the word steak and I'm in. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter what we're doing. I'm going to come and I'm going to eat your steak. I don't care what you're doing for me. I want to go and eat that food. Looking at me, you can probably tell I haven't skipped a lot of steak dinners in my, my lifetime. Right? I eat steak whenever I get the chance. But in that day, meat, it was a delicacy. It wasn't a normal uh, meal, a normal part of the rhythm. And so, so what, what these people are doing here, we're turning down this feast. So they're, they're literally turning down the best meal they would ever eat in their life. And that's weird enough, to me at least, that you would turn down steak. But it gets weirder because the, the people that, that the king sends to give out the invitation, um, some of them are beaten and killed by, by those who, get, who receive the invitation. They get violent. Um, the, when, I, why, when I sit out my wedding invitations... Um, People said no. There were some people who surprisingly uh, did not come to my wedding celebration. But no one like beat the postal uh, worker who delivered the invitation or murdered him. Right? None of that happened. At least I'm assuming that didn't happen. I'm assuming that sort of thing would get on the news because that's just weird. It's absurd. And, and, and what Jesus is doing, he's, he's creating an absurd premise. What is happening here should never happen. Why are these people doing this? So the king responds. He, he says, okay. You killed my servants, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. And so he kills the people who murdered his servants and burns down their cities. What a joyous wedding story. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Um, so what's going on here? What's happening? Well, Jesus, he's, he's looking at people who are religious leaders, who've read their Bible their whole lives. They've gone to temple, to church their whole lives. They've sung the songs their whole lives. And, and he's saying, you have two choices. Choice one is come to my wedding. Come eat my food, come drink my drink, enter my kingdom, taste a joy you've never tasted in your life. Or two, don't come. Reject me, do what you're planning to do against me. And in the process, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to end up alone and destructed. So the choice, quite literally, Jesus puts before them is an eternity of a feasting, a wedding type celebration or or judgment and destruction. It's a feast or it's hell. That's the, that's the choice Jesus puts in front of them. And maybe you hear that and think, boy, but that seems to have escalated really quickly. And the reality is we need to note two things about what's going on here. That first, um, this is judgment directed at religious people, not, not non-religious people, not atheists, or people struggling to believe or who have doubts. Um, this, Jesus is speaking to people who read their Bibles every day, who, who went to temple, who knew the, knew the prayers, they knew the, they knew the right things to do and say. So that's who he's speaking to first. But second, you have to keep the parable in context. As I mentioned, Jesus has told three parables, and they have each gotten more intense. And, and this is sort of the culmination of what Jesus wants them to understand. What's at stake in what they're doing? And so the first parable he tells them, is, it's about two sons. And uh, this father, he goes to the first son, and he says to the son, I need you to go work in the vineyard today. And that son says, no, I'm not going. But later, in the day, he thinks better of it, and he actually goes to the vineyard, and he does what his father asked him to do. And so the father then, he goes to the second son, and he says to that son, hey, I need you to go work in the vineyard today. And that son says, yes, I will go. But later in the day, he thinks better of it, and he, he never goes. He doesn't go. And so Jesus asked those who are listening, well, who did the will of the father? And everyone gave the right answer. It was the one who said no, but later went. Right? Jesus is saying it wasn't the one with the right appearance, who knew what the right thing to say was, who looked the right part. It was the one who actually didn't have the right thing to say, who didn't look the part 
that actually ended up being the one who was obedient. And his point was, listen, you, you can be in the right place. You can say the right words, but you aren't right. You can be religious. You can read your Bible. You can go to church. You can be a leader. You can be a pastor. But none of it matters if you aren't right. Appearances can be deceiving. So that's parable one. Parable two is the parable about a business owner who he's going off to a faraway country and he hires some workers to take care of his business while he's away. And so um, profit time comes. And so he sends some servants to go and uh, collect the profits from those who are running his business. But they, they don't want to give the profits over, so they take the servants, they beat some, they kill some, and they don't give the profits over, which, which angers the business owner. So he thinks, okay, I've got more servants. I'm going to send more servants there. There's strength in numbers. So he sends them. They go, and the people don't want to share the profits still, so they beat some more servants, kill more servants. And the business owner thinking to himself, well, okay, if I send my son, they won't do that to him. So his own son goes to collect the profits. But the workers think, well, if we take care of the son, there's no inheritance. We, the business is ours. And so they do the same thing to the son, beating and killing him as well. And so Jesus, he's getting more intense. He's getting more confrontational. The religious leaders, they know what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying to them, I, I am the son. Are you going to kill me? Right? Are you going to treat me the way you've treated the prophets? Are you going to continue to grab it at life yourself? Are you, are you going to receive me as the son of God? And so now they're ready for the last parable. Right? The choice, come and taste my joy or, or know my destruction. It's a strange choice, isn't it? So, right, this wedding is this choice of judgment. It's such a strange choice. And it's helpful to me because growing up, I, I typically heard judgment in the Bible talked about like God saying no to us. Right? We want into heaven. We want into the, the wedding. We want the feast. We want God. But God is sitting there. He's sort of sizing us up. He's measuring us up. He's determining if we're good enough. And then he says no to us. And we, we're pleading and we're weeping and we're hoping that he'll let us in anyway, but he won't because we're not good enough. And he sends us away and he says no to us. That's not what's happening here. And actually, I, I think what's happening here is, is far more terrifying to me than the typical view of judgment I've heard taught in the church. Where God says no to us because we're not good enough. What's happening here is, is actually we're saying no to God. We can come into the wedding. They can come into the wedding. But some of us won't. Some of us will, will say no to a wedding feast, to the best meal we could ever have, to heaven itself. I want to be clear here, because again, Jesus, he's not speaking to non-religious people. He's not speaking to atheists or agnostics or those who reject the Bible outright. He's speaking to people who believe in the Bible. People like me, people who go to church every Sunday, who read their Bibles, who sing the songs, who, who look, have all the appearances that you're supposed to have. And so it's worth those of us who are, are in that position, who are Christians, who do go to church, who do try to engage in the Christian life, to ask the question Jesus is trying to get us to ask ourselves, which is, is it more important to you that you look the part, or that you live it. Because what Jesus associates most often with, with hell, with judgment, it's not sexual sin. It's not greed. It's not unbelief or doubts. It's, it's not the wrong politics. The thing he connects most often with hell is religious hypocrisy. People who say, I love God, I'm all about it, I'm a Christian, and, and yet their lives are nothing of the sort. 
That's the reality. Is you and I, we can look religious. We can read our, our Bible so much that they're worn from our, our work. We can sing perfect harmony with, with the songs we sing on a Sunday morning. We can recite prayers of confession. Everything on the outside can look right, but we aren't right. right? We don't forgive, or we, we gossip and we judge others. We think we're superior to others, or we think God owes us something because we're good people. That externally, we're saying all the right things. We're doing all the right things. We're singing all the right songs, praying all the right Prayers, but we aren't actually dealing with, with God. Now, I would actually say that I think one of the reasons why we Christians need to hear this warning more than anyone else is because religion, it can sometimes be the most, the best way to avoid actually dealing with God. You sing the songs, but you're, you're not really thinking about what you're singing. You're, you're reading the scriptures, but you're not really engaged in them. You're praying, but you're not really, really thinking about what you're, you're doing. You're, you're, you're doing religious things. The appearance is there, but you're not dealing with God. So in your, your life, as you, you think you're following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus, are you actually dealing with God? Are you seeking him? So that if God did come and start interfering with your life, start pointing out things he wants you to do differently, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get angry at him. Right? What's so astonishing to me is that the closest God ever gets to his people, Matthew 22, Jesus is, is right there next to him. They feel more threatened and want to turn to violence to kill him than to receive him and go into his wedding. That should, that should in so many ways, if, at least if you're a Christian, that should terrify you. And yet also, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I think there's still some relevant stuff here for you as well. But I hope the, the uniqueness about what Jesus is saying about judgment here is a reason you would want to, want to listen more to him. Because there's, this is a, there's a kind of a unique way to think about, about judgment. The most, most religions, God says no to us. You're not moral enough, you're not good enough, you didn't believe enough, you didn't live up, and so therefore God doesn't let you in. You didn't keep the rules, you don't get in. God says no to you. But Jesus says, I'm throwing a wedding, come to my feast. I have the best steak, I have the best party, you are welcome to come in. And, and human beings say no to that. And don't want it. But I think all of us, Christians or not, should at least wonder why Jesus thinks we human beings would say no to heaven, no to the feast. He's not just saying that we might reject him because we think his life is too hard or, or we don't know enough information. Or we, he's saying you can know everything. You can have it right in front of you. You can have the, the wedding feast right there, God himself right in front of you, and you still wouldn't want it. That's terrifying. So Jesus is, is saying, listen, I have the best feast that could ever be imagined. I have a wedding. Come to my wedding. But some of you won't. And so now we've wrestled with the nature of judgment in this text. Um, it's time to dwell on the beauty of the grace that's there. That, that it's not just that, that God extends a wedding invitation to us to come, but, but secondly, um, then some of us will refuse. But secondly, uh, anyone can come. It's an invitation to all. So the, the king, uh, his friends, his family, the people he chose first, they refused the invitation. So he says, okay, we'll go up, we'll find more people. Verses 9 and 10, here's what, what he tells his servants. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite the wedding feast, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. <clears throat> These two verses, maybe more than any other, explain why, why I'm both a Christian and, and a pastor. 
And why especially I wanted to start a new church, be part of planning a new campus. So today, um, today is our, our two-year anniversary as a church of existing. It was two years ago we started, um, not having, uh, you know, like nine months early, not being sure we knew what we were doing. But, but we started it two years ago. And, and one of the reasons why it was so important or why I wanted not just to be a pastor, but be a part of a pastor of a new congregation um, was because I, began, I, I understood something that's at the heart of the gospel, that new churches tend to embody more than existing churches. For example, when I, when I was in high school, one of the things that devastated me uh, were, were kids who weren't invited to anything. Um, special needs students who either got mocked or who were alone as they went about their business. Students who were poor and didn't smell right or didn't wear the right clothes. It was a ruthless world. And, and so I, I struggled with two things in high school um, the first couple of years. One, I saw a world where a lot of people were always left out and weren't invited. And sadly, the church often embodied that as much as the school, that Church was where the people who had it together went, the good people, the popular people, those who would definitely get scholarships because they have impeccable resumes. That was the church. And yet also, I, I, at the same time, uh, I wanted to be in. I didn't want to be left out. Right? So I lived in a world. I'm constantly wondering, will I get invited? Will I be, will I be at the party? Will I, or will I be up on the outside looking in? It was an exhausting existence until... My sophomore year, I think I really encountered the gospel in, for the first time in, in a real way. And what is at the heart of this text? That first, there is no one to whom God does not invite into this kingdom. No one. And, and second, um, Jesus goes further. Because it's not just that God, like, fires out invitations from a helicopter or just sends you a Facebook invite. No, he, he leaves his throne in heaven and gets into the earth. And he goes into the street corners and into the alleys. And he finds all the people who are forgotten and left behind and says, come, come into my wedding. As Jesus, he's saying two things about God here that are true, that we cannot forget. First, God has got a pursuant embrace and open invitation. The, the pursuant embrace, here's what I mean. The God, the God of the Bible, he doesn't sit on, the, on his throne and tell us to come to him. He comes out looking for us, pursuing us. And so we as a church, we should reflect that pursuant embrace of of our God. And I would even say uh, beyond that, that one of the ways you can know that you're falling into the religious hypocrisy Jesus warns you about is that you're no longer looking for anyone. You're not out in pursuit and embrace, looking for those who aren't a part of the kingdom to extend the invitation in. That you're not on mission looking for those who should be in the kingdom of God. The longer a church exists, the more it tends to turn inward and forget about those who aren't a part of it. Right? As, as, as a younger church, we don't have that opportunity. Right? We, ha- we need more people as, as much as, as possible. And so we're, we have to be outward facing. It doesn't mean we always get that right. I don't think we do. But it means we have to be. It's why new churches tend to attract people who don't go to church more so than existing churches. Um, and yet I pray for as long as we I- exist, that all of us, our lives in this church, we would embody that pursuant embrace that God is all about, that we're always on the lookout, looking for others to invite them in to the feast, to say what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is breaking in, it's like a wedding feast, and you are invited, no matter where you are, no matter what you think you're doing. I have to confess, as a pastor, I haven't led the way I've needed to. Um, As a pastor, especially planning a new church where everything is fragile, it's just so much easier to spend time um, um, making sure that we're going to keep existing as opposed to being out among people who don't believe and aren't Christians. And so I, I need to repent, and I, I'm thinking through those changes in my own, um, own life. It was, it was starting to me at my sister's wedding. Um, you know, I did the ceremony, preached a basic gospel message, and I had three people come up to me just, just stunned by it. They'd never heard it. <laughs> they'd never encountered it. They'd never, no one had ever 
laid out the gospel in such a simple way. And, and one of them asked me to go do their wedding in Chicago. I'm like, I, don't, I just met you. Like, what is this? Um, but there is such a hunger for this, this open, this pursuant embrace of God. Are we out there? And, and listen, I, that's, I need to start with repentance myself, that we would lead into this as, as a church. Now, one more way, just practically, how, how I would hope this would work out in, in our body is that, that we would start here on Sunday mornings, that as people come in and, and visit and check us out, um, we would be a place where, where it's clear we want them. Um, and that if you're working in the children's check-in station, you're saying hi, you're shaking hands, you're smiling, you're, you're making sure they feel welcome, that, that if you see people sitting by themselves, you go say hi, you welcome them in, you say we're glad you're, you're here. That pursue the people who enter into the space on Sunday morning and let that be a catalyst and then work into the rest of your week. That we would be people who are, are not just, hey, if someone comes to me, I'll share the gospel. We're on the lookout. We're pursuing this world because that is what God is like, right? He's, he is a God who, hey, listen, you don't want to come to my party? That's fine. I will go out into the corners of the world. I will find every last person. And we as a church should embody the nature of, of our God. So God is a God of pursue and embrace, but second, open invitation. I love verse 10. <clears throat> it says, the servants went out into the roads, gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Now, I won't make any of us self-identify who the bad are and the good are in, in our congregation, but here's what, what, what's going on. Here's Those who have bad reputations get to come to the wedding, and so do those who, who are good, which typically religion, uh, religious people split the world into good people and bad people. So we're good people because we're in church. We're religious. We're the good, and the bad people are everyone who's not in church and outside of church. That's not how the split happens here. It's the good and the bad both get into the wedding. Those who have a bad reputation whom society looks down on and thinks shouldn't be invited into the wedding, they're in. And those who have good reputations and, and who should be at the wedding, they're in as, as well. And so no one, no one should ever walk into a church and feel like they don't belong. Right? If, you feel like you're, if you feel like you're too bad, well, guess what? The bad fit. Right? I mean, they should be here. And so no one should walk into a church and feel like they don't, they don't belong. The Joshua Ryan Butler, a pastor in Portland, reflecting on this text, he wrote this. He said, God has never been about creating a select elite who defensively hold up and retreat from the rest of the world and wait for the end. God has always been about inviting a lost and rebellious world into his kingdom party. And so let's, let's be that church, this church of open invitation. And so I would just ask, who in your life can, can you pursue? Can you invite? Listen, you can't rule them out because they're too bad, right? They're, they're invited, and they may come. And don't rule them out either because you may think you say, you, you, pro, you probably are going to say something weird, so just embrace it and go and say something weird. Because ultimately, if you overdo it, it's not, listen, God is the one pursuing them, not you. It's not your job. It's not your invitation. It's not your wedding. It's his. You just have the invitation. Go and offer it. That every person in your life right now is invited. Do they know that? That this life Jesus offers us, it's like a wedding. And yet some of us won't go. Everyone's invited, but some of us won't go. But thirdly, if, if you do come in, if you do want to enter into the wedding, you, you can come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. This last part of the parable, it always confused me because um, it seems like Jesus completely contradicts everything he just said. All right, there's a man who comes into the wedding. He doesn't have a wedding garment on, and he gets kicked out because he doesn't have a suit on. It's like, well, Jesus, I thought you just said, like, you can come in, and the bad and the good are welcome, and now you're kicking a guy out of the wedding. This doesn't seem to fit. And, but this is what's happening here. Think of it, think of it like this. that um, Say President Obama, he, one of his daughters is having a wedding, and he invites you to go and, and be a part of the celebration. It's a state wedding. It's going to be an incredible moment. 
uh, Beyonce singing, Casa Hamilton's performing. It's going to be an incredible show. And so you decide, you're, I'm, listen, I'm going to that. And you go and you show up in, in flip-flops, some jorts, uh, jean cutoff shorts, if you don't know what jorts are, um, they're glorious, uh, and a Grateful Dead t-shirt. And that's what you go to President Obama's daughter's wedding. That would not just be like a mistake or a misunderstanding. That you're, you're, you're intentionally disrespecting your host. You know what to wear. You don't wear a Grateful Dead. I mean, Grateful Dead t-shirts are awesome, but don't wear them to President Obama's daughter. Don't wear them to any wedding. And so this, this guy, he knows what he's doing. He's slapping the face of the king. He shows up to insult the king, and yet the king comes and gives him another chance. He, says, he calls him friend. Friend, why, what are you wearing? And the guy, he doesn't repent. He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't ask for a garment himself. He just stands there speechless. So he's kicked out of, of the wedding into judgment. Because Jesus' point is simple. If you, if you come in, into his wedding, you're, you're invited as you are. But you can't come and stay as you are. You, can't, you cannot enter into life with him, with Jesus, on your te- terms. You can't, you can't come in with your agenda. You can't come in with, with all your opinions and the way you think about life and expect Jesus to conform to you. No, it doesn't work that way. The Jesus, he's offering you limitless grace. Right? We're not, we're not, we don't get into the kingdom of God because we've worked really hard, we've earned it, we cleaned up our act, and Jesus found us and says, you look worthy of the wedding, come in. No, all the people who were worthy of the wedding, they all said no. And they say that. It's the rest of us, the good and the bad, that the, the servants had to go out and find. It's us who get into the kingdom. And if we're only into, into the kingdom of God, if we only get into the wedding, because God has chased us down into the streets to find us, that, that we're in this wedding, we're in the kingdom of God, not because of ourselves, but in spite of ourselves. Even though all of us, we always are constantly making decisions against God, choosing our, our self-interests over God, picking money over God, sex over God, business interests over God. Even though we make all these choices again and again and again, he still chases us down to get us in to his feast. And if we're there for that reason, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of his limitless grace towards us, it means we can't go in with life as is. We can't. Limitless, limitless grace means limitless Demand, right? I didn't pay my way in, and now he gets to ask nothing of me. No, I'm only there at his request, which means I, I've, I've already yielded myself to him. His life is better than, than mine. And so maybe, maybe you hear that and think, okay, so, so this is what Jesus is saying. He's like a rich kid who's throwing a wedding, and if you don't come with the right clothes or you don't come, well, he's going to get really mad at you, and he's going to throw you into hell. That sounds like a really great person, right? But that, that's not what's happening. It's not what's happening here. Think of the parable in, in this way. And when I was uh, a kid, um, there was sort of this fault line for me of, of 15 minutes, which is if we went out to, to a restaurant to eat, if the wait was, was shorter than 15 minutes, I'm okay. And everything's okay and all is well in the Spanberg household. But if it was fit more than 15 minutes, I, just, like, I had a more than 15-minute demon that just came out. And I just got really angry. And I just thought, why would you wait for food when there's a McDonald's and I can be chowing down on a Big Mac in like two minutes? Like, what? This makes no sense to me. Why would I wait for food when I can go and have it right now. And so I would get really angry and really, really mad. And, 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 and the reality is it was ridiculous because we were at a nicer restaurant, like a restaurant with steak or with something that I could have eaten that was much better than what McDonald's was serving up. But I didn't know that. I was ignorant. But it, sometimes it got so bad, either I had to go to the bathroom for discipline or I, sometimes I had to go to the car to sit by myself, to be alone. Right? I removed myself from the table. Right? My parents weren't going to let me and, and sit there and be uh, a pain, uh, go away, essentially. 
And what Jesus is going to say ultimately to, to those of us who don't want his wedding is, you can't, you can't stay here. You can't be in the wedding and, and cause it. You're going to have to go out. You're going to have to cut yourself off from me. And the reality is, Jesus is never going to force you or me into anything. But he is life itself. He is joy itself. And if you cut yourself off from him, from life, from joy, the alternative, it's, it's loneliness, it's death. If you refuse him and, and his invitation, he'll let you have your way. You can go out by yourself. But it's, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's called hell. And so Jesus, he, he doesn't want anyone, any one of us alone. He doesn't want any one of us cut off. It's why he left his throne in heaven to come down and pursue us, to find you. But understand, Jesus, he doesn't just come to find you, to invite you into his wedding as a guest. To say to you and me, okay, you can come in, but you have to sit in the corner and you better be quiet. Right? Or you, you just better be lucky you even get into the wedding. That's not the invitation Jesus sends to us. And when you get to the end of the Bible, Revelation 19, the church, us, those who have, who have received this wedding invitation, we're not depicted as guests at the wedding. We're depicted as the bride. But Jesus' love, concern, his pursuit of you into the streets and into the alleys to find you and bring you into his wedding, it's not to bring you in as a guest, it's to bring you in as a spouse. And guys in the room, I know this is a weird metaphor for us, right? I'm the bride of Christ. I don't get it. That's weird. I, I get, but you, we, this is what Jesus does in Revelation 19. We're not invited in as guests. We're invited as a spouse. He wants to know us as a spouse. He doesn't want to get us into the wedding by the skin of our teeth. He wants us in fully loved, fully accepted, the main event. And that is all possible because the true story of the wedding feast, not the parable, but the true story of the wedding feast, the story of Jesus' life, he goes out into the streets. We read that for, for months in the, the Gospel of Matthew. He goes out into the streets. He finds all of those who are left behind, and he invites them in to his kingdom. And instead of humanity responding to that by worshiping him and by having a celebration with him, no, he responded by mocking him, nailing him to a cross, murdering him, and putting him in a tomb. And yet Jesus knew all that would happen. The second parable, the parable of the business, uh, the business owner and the, the hired servants. Jesus knew as the son he would go and be killed, and yet he came anyway. Because the celebration, it's too good. The invitations, they must go out. The only question left is, will you come? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I, I confess that as one who follows Jesus... I'm often more concerned with saying the right things and appearing the right way. Help us to be people that don't just know the right words, but God, live the right way. God, I confess as one who follows Jesus, I often don't go into the streets, into the corners, and the alleys to announce the invitation of Jesus. So would you help us to be a people who know the power of the gospel we hold and share it lavishly? God, I confess as one who follows Jesus, I, I'm not always sure he really wants me in his kingdom. And so would you help us to be a people who remember you came looking for us and you want to know us not as a distant servant, but as a spouse. And let us, Lord, live by, by these words. It is by his wounds we have been healed. And though our sins are like a scarlet, they can be as white as snow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.